you have a Bible, please make your way to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2, if you're joining us today as a visitor, or maybe this is one of your first couple times here, we've been in this little short prophetic book for four weeks. This is the fourth week, and we're closing it out today. As you're turning there, it's just a few books prior to the New Testament book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, so just go backwards a little bit from there and you'll find it. And so as you're turning there, let me just set this up for us today. When I say the word revival, what comes to mind? Maybe something having to do with fire and brimstone preaching and altar calls, something you want to steer clear from and that you wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Maybe something shouted out by TV preachers and churches that you think are charismatic cuckoos and you don't want anything to do with them. Maybe something that simple-minded people are, they get all wrapped up with and involved in, but, but, but you being more mature, not succumbing to that emotionalism, you don't give in to that. So it's not really part of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Or is it maybe something that you long for? something that you pray for, something you want to see in the lives of people around you, maybe a spiritual awakening that happens in your own heart, in the heart of your wife, in the heart of your husband, an awakening in one of your kids, an awakening in the life of your friend or your brother or your dad or your mother or your company or our city or our country or the world. We don't, we don't often hear or use the word revival anymore. It's a word that for many, because of the stereotypes in our culture, in our day, in our time, we just avoid it. That's not something we do. I'm already part of the family of God. I don't really need a spiritual awakening. I don't, I don't really succumb to that type of thing anymore. My relationship with Jesus is much more refined. We have a formal relationship. I have appointments with him at times. I speak to him sometimes, especially when I'm needy. I talk to him, and he's done some things for me, and I have done some things for him, and we'll continue in this contractual-type relationship. But to think about revival, spiritual awakening in our hearts, getting our hearts stirred for something, no, that's not really the way I'm wired. That's for somebody else. And yet, we find revivals all over the pages of the Bible. Revival, if we could simply define it as we begin, it's a movement of God in the lives of his people, to awaken them to who he is and what he has done in such a powerful way that it changes their lives. Let me read that again. Revival is a movement of God in the lives of his people to awaken them to who he is and what he has done in such a powerful way that it changes their lives. And that's ultimately exactly why we're here. That we want to see spiritual awakening in the lives of people, helping people belong to Christ, grow in Christ, and reach the world for Christ. That's why we are here. That's why God has saved us through his son. Is it possible that God wants spiritual revival, an awakening within your life today? That he wants revival in the life of someone you love or care about? That he's planted a whole bunch of seeds That his Holy Spirit is at work in a whole bunch of lives, seeds in the lives of people all around you. And those seeds, although it doesn't look like anything's happening, although nothing's sprout out of the ground just yet, although it looks like nothing is really occurring, those seeds, he's already at work, will one day make a forest. 
So what is the seed of revival? Where does it all start? I'm going to kind of assume that the truth is we all want to passionately follow Jesus Christ and that we want our spiritual lives awakened by the gospel. That's the assumption I'm making. If you don't want that in your life, I'm hoping as you learn more about the gospel, that becomes a desire of your heart. But if you have placed your faith in Christ, this is something we want to see all the time. Again, not some kind of mountaintop emotionalism. You'll see that very soon. But something where we are passionately pursuing the ways of Jesus and his gospel in our lives. So what is the seed of revival? Where does it start? This is our last week in this series called Neutral Goes Nowhere. And this book was a challenging sermon by God's prophet to God's people because they were distracted, discouraged, and disobedient. So God, through Haggai, calls them out. Why? Well, because he wants spiritual renewal from his people. He wants spiritual revival. Because when our hearts are ready to listen, our lives are sure to change. You can come to church and and you can come in with a posture not ready to listen and you'll walk out in the morning not really receiving anything. But if you come with a heart postured to listen, ready to hear from God through his word, you will be changed through his word by his spirit. That's how it works and that's what he wants in his people even here. And so why does he want this? Well, when our hearts are ready to listen and our lives are sure to change, when people see that change in us, God will use it to bring change in them. And their change will lead to more change. Disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. That's what he's after here. That sounds like revival, but where does it all start? What's the seed? As we come to these last 13 verses in this book, we find out one final message from the Lord through Haggai to Zerubbabel, the governor of the Israelites at the time, Joshua, the high priest, And really delivered to all the people. And here's what he says. The prophet preaches that the seed of revival is submission to God's word. Maybe you didn't think that's where it started. But that's where it starts. It's not getting hyped up at a concert. It's not getting all worked up at a thing. It's first submitting to his voice. Submitting to his word. That's the seed of revival. Let me put it another way. Spiritual revival comes when we submit to God's word. Now, if submission to God's word is the seed for revival, what causes that seed to grow? What's the catalyst? What's the fertilizer? There are three catalysts to helping the seed of submission to God's word create change, create revival, create awakening in our lives. Here's the first. I'll give you kind of a more complex way of stating it and then a simplified one. Repent of spiritual apathy and disobedience. Let me put it this way. Simplify it down. Revival starts with confession. Revival starts with confession. Can you just say that out loud with me this morning just to make sure you're all awake? It starts with confession. Say that with me. It starts with confession. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. Let me read in verse 10 and we'll unpack this together. On the 24th day of the ninth month, this is exactly three months to the day from when they started building the temple again, after letting it sit for 18 years. And if you need the context of this whole thing, you'll need to go back to a few sermons before and listen as I preached this the first couple weeks, part one and part two of this series specifically, where we set the context for this. But this is the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, thus said the Lord of hosts. Ask the priests about the law. 
If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, what does it become or does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does. It becomes unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. You might be thinking, what in the world is he talking about? We're going to try to talk about that here, but let me simplify it down. What causes the seed of revival to grow, which is what God is wanting to do in the lives of the Israelites here and really in the lives of his church today? It starts with confession. So Haggai forces or focuses in on the religious leaders, and he forces a question upon them, and he says to them, their priests, their pastors, in verse 11, he asks them a question regarding the law of God. The question's here found in verses 12 and 13. It has to do with what makes a person holy and unholy. It had to do with the standards that God had set up for his people as they'd worship him. And so remember, in the Old Testament, God's presence would dwell among his people, but he is a holy God in the midst of an unrighteous people. And so he set up standards so that they could enter into his presence, and in his presence then they would be a lighthouse for the world. But there's been a problem that they had and that we have since really Genesis chapter 3, the fall of Adam and Eve. And the problem is how can an unholy people dwell with, commune with, have a relationship with, be in a family with a perfect and holy God. So the Old Testament sets up these standards that will allow God's people to be holy. This is how the scripture describes it. Be holy as God is holy. That's the commandment he gives and he tells them how to do it. But over and over and over, are they able to no, they can't seem to do it. They can't seem to figure it out. We, we find out that we're just like them, that we'll never be holy as he is holy. We'll never be holy as God is holy. We need someone else to meet the standard because we know we won't make it on our own. That's really the point of the trajectory of the Old Testament scriptures, to help us see our desperate need of a Savior. And so these people are in the midst of this uh, the, this, this worship where, where they've been given standards that will bring them into the presence of God, but they're not able to sustain that level of purity. And so Haggai makes the point through these questions with a little parable. He tells them basically a little story. And he basically says, if someone's carrying food that is ceremonially holy, it's, it's wrapped up in a wrapping and it's ceremonially clean, it's useful for worship, it's useful to come into the presence of God, and then that wrapping around that food touches something else. Does that holy thing make the unclean thing holy? That's his question. And so he uses this parable of food. So I brought some food. I brought some of my favorite food today. And one of my favorite foods is Hawaiian dinner rolls. Does anybody else love these things? They are, these are sweet Hawaiian rolls, all right? Not just any Hawaiian rolls. These are the original King's Hawaiian sweet rolls. There's no other way to buy them. These are on sale right now at Kroger, two for six. So... <laughs> I want to eat them. I'm going to wait. Um, I know they're not good for me, but they're fantastic. So imagine these are wholly prepared for the king. 
take us into the presence of God's temple. They're prepared for the ceremonial worship that the Israelites are going to do. And he's basically asking the priests, now the priests, now these holy things, if they touch something that's unholy. So I was trying to think of things that were not very holy that I could find in my in my, uh, in my house, that's food, and I was thinking about mac and cheese. That's just dirty, and um, it's just not, it's not good. So if the, if the holy thing touches the unholy thing, does this become holy? And the answer is no. And so, well, what if it's something a little better? What if, what if, I, what if I get my protein, which, you know, this has been in my pantry for a while. It's still near the top. That tells you how much I, I have it, and, and I've been using it, but I don't think it works because I'm not really getting stronger. But if, if this holy thing were to touch this unholy thing, would, would it make it holy? And they say, no, no. If this holy thing, then I brought my men's multivitamin gummies because I don't like taking the pills, but all these things, they taste fantastic. So it only says to eat two, but sometimes I have a lot more. Um, <laughs> It's not very good for you, I'm sure. But, but if this holy thing touches the unholy thing, does it make it holy? And the answer is no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And the point of all of this, the point of what he's saying here is that holiness doesn't transfer from object to object. Holiness does not transfer from object to object. So then Haggai asked the priest a follow-up question in verse 13. Well, if someone has touched a dead body or something that they considered ceremonially unclean within these standards that God had set up, and then touches something else, will what they touch become defiled and unclean? If, if the box of Velveeta mac and cheese touches something else, would it make that thing unclean too? And the answer is yes. Yes. So unholiness does transfer from object to object. Holiness, it's not something we're born into. Unholiness transfers from object to object, person to person. That's his point. And his point here is this. Uh, the New Living Translation gets after it when it, it translated, translates it this way. Everything they do and everything they are offering is defiled by their sin. So they thought that they were becoming holy simply because they were doing religious things. They thought that if they were near the presence of God, building a temple, putting another brick on that wall, that would make them holy just because they're there, because they're involved in religious activities. And Haggai's saying, no, no, it doesn't. The solution to your guilt, the solution to our guilt is not to do more good deeds. Because if we think our good deeds will overcome our guilt, our, our motivation for the good deeds that we do is to help ourselves. That's not the way of Jesus Christ. He served people for their sake, not his own. So maybe you think coming to church or giving money or showing up for every experience the church puts on will make you holy and accepted by God. These things are helpful, friends, but they're helpful for a different reason. These things remind us of our need for God and for community with people who love Him. They don't make us acceptable. They show us that we are unacceptable apart from Christ. That's really what it does. 
when we come together to worship, the, 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 the joy of our worship is that we realize that we're unacceptable apart from Christ, but then when we hear the gospel preached to us again, then we realize we're accepted by God because of Christ, and that brings joy, and that brings that wellspring within us that will flow out of us through our actions towards one another. So these things are helpful, but they're helpful for a different reason. The problem is we can never do enough good things to add enough chips to our stack so that the balance will get turned in our favor. Because the problem is we never had any chips and we have no way of getting any chips. Instead, Jesus is all that we need. John 14, 6 says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And the resurrection it undoubtedly proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has all the chips, that, that he's the creator of the chips and he'll give them away to whomever he chooses. That's what faith does. It makes us holy through Christ. The Bible says there is no one righteous, no, not one. And yet through Jesus Christ, the righteousness, the holiness of Jesus received through faith, a fancy word here gets imputed, given, freely offered, imposed upon the believer, his righteousness given to us, his purity given to us, his holiness given to us so that we would become acceptable to a holy God. So Haggai is saying, you don't receive that cleanliness because you're standing near the church. You don't receive that simply from doing religious activities. You receive it through faith, and that faith begins with confession, the seed of revival is submission to God's word. It's submission to God's word. And there are three catalysts to helping that seed of submission to God's word create change in our lives. Let's look at the second. The first is confession. Here's the second, verse 15 through 19. He writes, Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare when one came to a heap of 20 measures there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, when you started building the temple and submitting your lives to me. Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. There is so much going on here. I can't wait to unpack it for you. Let me give you the the summary in a sentence here, resolve to embrace God's promises for blessing. Let me simplify that. If the first catalyst to revival is confession, the second is faith. And I feel like the church has a issue today with faith. It's like when we think about faith, sometimes we think about people where, ah, oh, man, that's just blind trust, useless so mine, again, is more formalized, more academic, more sincere, more realistic. That's the type of faith I have. I think the church has a crisis of faith, quite frankly. 
And faith is embracing God's promises. So resolve to embrace God's promises for blessing. Faith is embracing his promises. Faith is believing in things that you have not yet seen. Things that we hope for but have not seen come to fruition. So God says to his people here, before this whole temple project started back up, after 18 years, how are you doing? Everything you pursued, he's basically stating the obvious, everything you pursued didn't work out. The crop you thought you'd harvest, it died or produced less than you thought. The crop you thought you'd sell, it was rotten. It didn't bring in what you'd hoped. The fruit that you thought you'd produce, it didn't bring provision. Instead, it's been bringing poverty. Your life was a cycle of frustration, anxiety, and you were headed for disaster. And he said, and even then, even then, you still didn't turn to me. In essence, it's the title of this whole series. Your faith is stuck in neutral. You're not going anywhere. And when your faith is stuck in neutral, the whole point is you might miss the harvest that God had planned for you all along. But if you're stuck in neutral, you're not seeing it. You're not being part of it. You're not working to receive it or to gain it. Now remember, this is God's covenant with the Old Testament Israelites through the law. It's not the same. It's not a one-for-one with his new covenant to us today through Jesus Christ. But the principle applies because your life can still feel and experience a cycle of frustration anxiety. You could be headed for spiritual disaster. And God is saying, even though I've been trying to get your attention, you haven't turned to me. You haven't submitted to my word. You thought your heart would be fine sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend and then praising my name on a Sunday morning. It won't. You you thought your guilt and shame would go away after spending so much time and energy on, on your own happiness if you just make sure you measured that out a little bit by serving the church a little bit. It doesn't. God says, I've been trying to get your attention, but I haven't gotten your attention. I've been pursuing your heart, but you haven't turned it over to me. I've been trying to wake up your faith, but it's still sound asleep. It needs awakening. But even still, and this is the best part of this text. It's why I love this scripture. It's why I love verse 19. Because even still... God says to them, I'm not done with you yet, though. I'm not done with you. And I love this. He says, but now, since the day that you finally submitted yourselves to me, after all this time, after 18 years, I'm making you a promise. I'm giving you a promise. And he says, the seeds that you've planted, even before you see any evidence that they're growing, even when they look like nothing, Even when it looks like nothing is happening, you can know for certain, this is my promise, you can know for certain that something is happening. That's what he says here. And I hope you're listening with ears of faith this morning, friends, because this verse is meant to change your life today. It's literally meant to change your life today. Look at it again. Let's just focus in on verse 19. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed. So basically, the seed's still there. The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, even though you see nothing, you need to believe through faith that I'm blessing you. So say to somebody, as we start to unpack this, the seed is in the barn. Turn to somebody this morning and say, the seed is in the barn. The seed is in the barn. 
And the seed in the barn doesn't sound like it's going to be very useful. Because if it's in the barn, it's not growing. It's not yielding a crop. It's not doing anything. It's just sitting there. The seed is in the barn. And I know some of you are going through some things right now. Let's just be honest about it. I know that you're spiritually frustrated. You're anxious. Your life feels like you're in a drought. All you see is trouble. All you see is conflict. You're stuck in neutral. Your faith is stuck in neutral. You've been working hard. You've been trying hard. You've been sweating. You've been out in the sun. You've turned over the soil. You've been planting seeds, maybe. Maybe you've taken that step. You've removed them from the barn, and you've put them into the soil. You've been planting the seeds. You've been taking the seeds from the barn and planting them in the field. You've been watering them. You've been praying. You've been waiting. And now, when it seems like nothing's happening, now you're just worrying. I've been pouring my life into this thing. I've been pursuing this thing, and God, why aren't you showing up? Why isn't there an awakening? Why isn't there a revival? What's, what's happening? All the work is not producing anything, and you're wondering if it's going to grow. You're wondering if there's ever going to be a harvest for all that submission to God. If there's ever going to be a harvest for all the work that you've been putting in to your relationship with him, your work that you've been putting into other things in life, and maybe you're at this point about to give up. Maybe you say, I I don't see anything. It doesn't seem like anything's happening, so I'm just going to call it quits. Maybe you're thinking, I've been in neutral so long, I might as well just put this thing in reverse because then I'll at least go somewhere because I feel like I'm just going nowhere. My faith isn't going anywhere. My, My marriage isn't going anywhere. I've been trying, I've been praying, but it's not going anywhere. My job isn't going anywhere. I've worked hard, but it's not going anywhere. My dreams, all the dreams that God gave my heart, they're not going anywhere. They're stuck, they're in neutral. My hope seems hopeless. And you're about to walk away from whatever hope you have left. I know some of you are in this place today. You're about to walk away from the very smidgen of hope you have left towards that seed, that thing that you've been wanting to see revival with, change, but it hasn't come. And I want to tell you, friends, that if you do, God wants you to know if you walk away now, you might miss your harvest. You might miss the very harvest he has planned for you. If you walk away now, if you don't continue in the work, look at verse 19, is the seed yet in the barn? Yes, it is indeed, but from this day I will bless you. The problem with seeds is you can't see what's going on in the dirt. That's the problem with seeds, that they're under the dirt and it looks like nothing's happening. And this is where faith comes in. You need to have faith to know that what looks like nothing is something. What looks like nothing in your life, all that energy you've been pouring into those things for the Lord or for the gospel or in your marriage or in your relationships, all that planting you've been doing and you're waiting for the harvest, you're waiting to sow what you've reaped, all of that work you've done, what looks like nothing right now, you need to know it's something in the hands of God. It's not nothing. It's something. Is anybody hearing me today? You guys are quiet. Uh, I, 
I know it's 10, but, but, but I, need you, I need you to give me something here today so I can know that you're tracking with what the prophet's saying to us today. Because maybe you've been stuck in neutral because your faith needs revival. And Haggai says, he's saying here, hey Israel, you need to have faith to believe that the harvest is on its way while the seed is in the barn. He's saying to some of you here today, you need to have faith to believe that the harvest is on its way while the seed is still in the barn. The harvest is on its way while the seed's in the barn. It's not faith. It's not faith when the barn is full of the crop. That's what we like to do. This is, just, this is just Baptist to Baptist talking here, if that's kind of your background. It's like, man, God's going to do something. I'm not sure. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. I'm not going to get my hopes up because if he doesn't come through for me because I'm not sure if he will, then I don't want to be disappointed. So, so I'm going to wait until the whole crop comes in. And when the, when the crop comes in, I'll be like, thank you, God. That's not faith. Faith is when the seed is in the barn, it's not even in the dirt, but you believe God will come through with his promises and that he's gonna fill up that barn, not with seed, but with the crop. That's faith. So that's what he's talking about here, that, that faith, revival, the catalyst for revival is to believe that when God says promises for us, when the seed is in the barn, he will come through even before we've put it in the dirt, that he will come through for us. And so maybe you've been stuck God wants you to wake up your faith this morning. You got to wake it up. You got to wake it up. You got to keep working, keep planting, keep moving forward with Christ. And if you've done all of that, and if you've done the planting, and if you've done the watering, then it's time to just rest and wait. And maybe that's what you need, just to rest and wait. But keep submitting to the word. Keep trusting in faith that what looks like nothing is going to turn into something. Turn to somebody this morning and say, it's not nothing. It's not nothing. What you've been pouring your life into is not nothing. It is something, and God's going to grow it into something else and something greater. There is no revival without confession. There is no revival without the catalyst of faith. You have to have eyes to see what looks like nothing in God's hands is always something. And there's one more. Look at verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. So he's talking about judgment here. And to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one of them, by the sword of his brother. On that day... While all that destruction is taking place, on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. We need to finally receive God's calling to be a blessing to the world. Or let me simplify this yet again, there is not revival without the catalyst of your calling, confession, faith, calling. 
So God tells Zerubbabel that a day of shaking the heavens and the earth are coming, but for his servant, he has something different. He says, I will take you. You'll be set aside. I will make you. You'll be a signet ring. You'll be precious to the Lord. I have chosen you. Your life will fulfill my purposes. You will accomplish all that I've called you to do because I've called you as my own. This language here, these verses are chalked full of what we call messianic language. So many of these phrases are later attributed to Jesus Christ himself. The servant, the signet ring, the son, the chosen one. All of these things pointing then to this promise. And God's promise wasn't simply that they would rebuild the temple. God's promise that ultimately that standard of holiness to which they could never arrive, they could never get there, that will be met in God's ultimate servant, his chosen one, the Messiah. And who was this Messiah that is alluded to here in the text as he's speaking about this promise that he's going to keep to Zerubbabel? Do you know who Zerubbabel is? He's in the line of Jesus Christ. Well, that means that Zerubbabel had a seed. The seed I planted in this nation, God says, and you, it hasn't died. It's going to grow. And the seed promised was Jesus. And he came and he's come. The seed of Abraham came. The seed of David came. The seed of Zerubbabel came, the seed of God came. And, and here's kind of what blew me away when I was thinking about this text this morning. The seed of God came, and where did the seed of God come? How did he come? In a barn. He came in a barn. The seed is in the barn. The seed's in the barn, and nobody thinks the seed's going to amount to anything. Everybody looks at the seed in the barn and says, well, that's not a big deal. He he didn't come wrapped the way we thought. He didn't come with all the pomp that we thought. He's just a seed in the barn. Not even planted. Not even growing. He's, He's just a seed. But what did God do with what looked like nothing? Well, now we see that nothing is something. And that, that little nothing grew, lived, taught, did miraculous things, died, rose again, and he started a crop that has been going ever since. And you're part of it if you place your faith in him. You're, what looks like nothing turns into something. It's completely changed the world. You want to talk about revival, that seed in the barn brought about the greatest revival the world's ever seen. That's what Jesus has done. And it started with a calling. Is he calling you? That's a catalyst to spiritual revival. Confession, faith, calling. You need to know that things that don't look like anything... If it begins by submission to the word of God, if it begins with confession, if it begins with faith, 
that God will come through for you. His promise is already secure. So there are things in your life right now. I hope, am I preaching to somebody this morning where you've got a seed in the ground and you've been waiting a while, but you just want to see the thing grow and maybe you feel like it's not going to happen, but you need to know today that God's going to bring that growth. Does anybody need to hear that today? Somebody? Is that where anyone's at? That, that's what this is saying to us, that there are things in our lives that are buried and we're about to give up. And we're about to give up before the whole harvest comes. Don't quit. Don't stop. Submit to the word. Continue in confession. Awaken your faith. Awaken it. Wake it up. Just wake up your faith. And then pursue your calling. Pursue your calling in life. What's your step? What do you need to do? What's the thing the Lord's impressing upon your heart from this text to do today in response to what he has spoken to you? Nothing is not nothing. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this text, Father. I want to pray first for my brothers and sisters who are here today. Father, if they have been feeling like they've been working, they've been sweating, they've been planting, they've been sowing, they've been watering, and yet it doesn't look like anything's happening. And what that's produced is stagnation. Faith has moved to neutral. I pray, Father, that through those same eyes, through the power of your spirit, that you would revive in us an awakening that you'd wake up our faith and we would know that the spiritual awakening, it, it begins, that the, the seed of it is submission to your word. So Father, I pray that we would confess the areas of our lives where we have not yet submitted to you. Perhaps, Father, there are some here today, Father, that know that they are not in your family. They've not placed their faith in that seed of David that came in a barn, born of a virgin, crucified for the lost, crucified for the sins of the world. I pray that even in these moments in their heart, they would pray to you confessing their sin in faith, turn to you and say, I need Jesus. I've been frustrated. I've been cycling. My life's in neutral. Forgive me, come into my life, transform me, bring about revival. And the Father, you'd bring them into your family. And for all those you have called, Father, help us to know that that calling will continue. What looks like nothing, all those seeds that we're sowing, all those areas where we're frustrated, Father, help us to know you're doing something. We might not see it, but you're up to something. Help us to have real faith, not when the harvest has come in, but before the seed's been planted. And Father, we know that because of all these things, because of what you've done through Jesus, we can be certain because of his resurrection that you will finish your work in us. You've moved us from death to life, from sin to life, from darkness to light. We've entered into this glorious relationship, this glorious day of freedom in Jesus. Give us eyes to see. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand? I've been preaching a little hard today. I, I tried to bring some energy, and I'm hoping that that means that you'll bring some energy to God here through this song because he's deserving of it. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he's resurrected your life. He's brought you from death to life. He's deserving of passionate worship. So let's offer it to him today. Let's sing this out together.